Welcome to a new weekly podcast series called USERF Spotlight, hosted by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, an independent federal advisory body. During each episode, Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, features a special guest to dive deeper on various topics and breaking developments that impact the universal right to freedom of religion or belief around the globe. Welcome to USERF Spotlight. Today we're going to go deeper on recent developments in Sinjar in northern Iraq and their implications for religious freedom. In recent years, northern Iraq and Sinjar in particular has become a battleground between Turkish armed forces and the Kurdistan Workers Party or PKK. The Turkish government has escalated its attacks in the region since it announced military options called Operation Claw Eagle and Operation Claw Tiger in June 2020. Back in June, Yusuf condemned Turkey's airstrikes and ground operations near civilian areas in northern Iraq, calling on Turkish President Erdogan to end these actions uh, that were particularly threatening to hundreds of traumatized Yazidi families attempting to return to Sinjar. The Turkish government has failed to account for the presence of Yazidi and other civilian populations in northern Iraq, resulting in civilian casualties. Just this past weekend, reports indicate that Turkey resumed its military operations in Sinjar, instilling fear in an already vulnerable population. With me today is USERF Commissioner Nadine Mayenza to discuss these developments. Welcome, Commissioner Mayenza. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Commissioner Manza has uh, traveled extensively to Iraq and the region, not only as a USERF commissioner uh, in recent years, but also uh, more recently she traveled to northern Syria and Iraq in her private capacity to get a much deeper sense of conditions on the ground. Uh, Commissioner Manza, in prior incidents, uh, the Turkish military has reportedly taken few or no precautions to avoid civilian casualties in Sinjar and the wider areas. If you could tell us how have these recent military operations impacted religious and ethnic minority communities, particularly the Yazidis, where their home is, and what areas are being targeted in these operations, and how are the locals responding? Well, it's clear that Turkey has taken no precautions to avoid civilian casualties in many of its airstrikes, both in northern Iraq, um, the Sinjar area, as well as Syria. You know, and as you mentioned earlier, I think we need to remember these are victims of genocide, you know, that are dealing with these attacks. So they're, you know, coming back, trying to rebuild their homeland with very little support from the international community. Um, hardly anything has changed in six years in Sinjar. So you have a situation where there's a genocide in 2014 and all these atrocities that the U.S. government is, is called um, genocide, um, women that were kidnapped and sold into slavery and, and so many um, were murdered. And, and now so many are trying to come back and so little has been done. So there's already this situation that it should be unacceptable to the international community that that while there was 83 countries that were part of the coalition to defeat Daesh or ISIS, so few have actually helped the, the victims of that same genocide. And so they're in this situation where they're coming back to, you know, um, houses that are destroyed, community centers that don't exist, um, you know, lots of landmines. And, and now we have Turkey doing airstrikes um, in the area. You know, they've mainly been focusing in the, the outer areas, not fortunately in, in the inner city, but they have killed some Yazidis. We, um, we know that, that like some Yazidis from the Yebisha or the YBS militia were killed. Um, four of them last year. And, and, and just, you know, to make it clear that, that the YBS militia, while they're aligned with PKK, you know, they 
are Yazidis from Sinjar. And they also work really closely with the Iraqi security forces, even sharing checkpoints. And um, so it's wrong for Turkey to be targeting members of the Yazidi community in Sinjar. Human Rights Watch put out a report, Iraq Turkish airstrikes disregard civilian loss, where they go through and list stories and, and instances of, of civilians being killed. And of course, we know this is happening pretty regularly in Syria as well. So currently, Yazidis are, are actually, I've been told, leaving Sinjar in the last few weeks in, in another wave of migration because of the instability and the fear that Turkey's coming in. In addition, we, we see that the, the prime minister of Iraq, um, Kadami, has just sent nine to 10,000 militias, troops from three different brigades into Sinjar that is just adding to this sense of something big is about to happen. There's a lot of fear. You know, tell me, the, the Turkish government is claiming here that uh, the PKK is positioning itself in Sinjar to attack Turkey. And obviously there's a long history there. Mm -hmm. How true would you consider this claim? And, and how, how are the locals there in Sinjar viewing the PKK on the ground? Well, first of all, no one in Sinjar is planning an attack on Turkey. So I think we can all agree to that. You know, as Murat Ismail, the Yazidi leader and co-founder of Yazda, um, recently said, you know, better than I could say it. So I'm just going to quote him. He said, Mount Sinjar is no candle and will never be. This whole propaganda machine portraying a different picture with an aim to facilitate a Turkish incursion is just plain wrong. He makes three points. Iraqi forces are all over the mountain. And there's even an Iraqi general in charge. The second point is Sinjar region is a small mountain range. It is not a huge hideout like Kandil, which is where the PKK is further north in Iraq or the Afghan mountains. And then number three, he says the Yazidis of Iraq are not attached to this PKK ideology. So, you know, there is a strong connection, of course, with the PKK and the Yazidis because the PKK saved the Yazidis during this genocide. It was a horrific incident in August of 2014 and pretty much everyone fled that was supposed to protect them. And, and the PKK came in from Northeast Syria, as did the YPG and, and, and others to protect them. And so um, they, they're very grateful to them. But there is a lot of mixed feelings on the ground. The Yazidis know that, that now, you know, they're being targeted in some respects because the PKK are there. And, and I'll be honest, I don't believe the PKK will leave until they believe the Yazidis are safe. So, you know, the, the way forward with, with getting the PKK to leave Sinjar, there is a way to do that. Um, having Turkey come in and either invade or, or bomb or doing the things um, that they may do is not the way. You know, Turkey has a terrible record with Yazidis. In Afrin and the other areas in northern Syria where they've invaded, Yazidis have taken the brunt of their violence and committed all sorts of atrocities. As we documented in our hearing last June called Safeguarding Religious Freedom in Northeast Syria that's on our website at usurf.gov. And, you know, currently they're bombing Yazidis right now they're IDPs that fled Afrin. They're, they're near Aleppo. They have no funds. They have no power. They have no agency. And yet they're being bombed by Turkey as we speak. Yusuf spoke out about it a few days ago. And it's really just a way um, to torment them and also to bring stability to the area. You know, the United Nations has put out a report calling out Turkey for these crimes, as has Human Rights Watch, as has Amnesty International. <laughs> you know, so this is, there is no secret that for some reason Turkey looks down on Yazidis and in the fact that they're threatening to come into Sinjar and perhaps invade. We don't really know their entire, we, we, we've heard that that is what they want and they've been told that that's not possible by the Iraqi government. Um, but we think another refrain is, is what their goal would be in Sinjar, that, but, but we're not sure that they'll be able to do that. But nevertheless, um, President Erdogan has made it clear he wants to come in um, and, and we're not sure what that will look like. But it's clear that, that this isn't about the PKK or their domestic security. 
they had an incident, obviously, where with the PKK, they've been fighting with them in northern Iraq. This gives them a, an excuse to come into Sinjar for their own strategic regional interests. They have northeast Syria right on the side there where they'd like to be closer. Um, and so there's all sorts of different reasons why we believe Turkey wants to be there. And that it's important that the international community stand up for this fragile uh, minority community. You know, in October 2020, as you're talking about the Yazidis, the Iraqi government and the Kurdistan regional government signed the uh, Sinjar Security Agreement to restore stability in the area. Now, while this uh, agreement was praised by the international community, uh, it was also highly criticized for failing to include the Yazidis in both the negotiations and now implementation of its terms. In your view, what what's the future of this agreement, uh, given the poor local support, and how likely is it uh, to provide any stability or protection uh, for Sinjar? So the agreement was praised by the international community because it was something positive, but most privately were, were disappointed that the Yazidis had not been included. And as you mentioned, the, the negotiations, um, and I've seen the pictures of the negotiations, and there must be 30 or 40 people at the table. So I don't understand how the Yazidi community from Sinjar could not be included in that. And they're not included in the execution and implementation, which is made up of a committee of people from both the KRG, the Kurdistan Regional Government, as well as the Iraqi government. You know, But then again, the Sinjar, you know, they haven't had elections since 2003. They, at that point in time, they voted for a council. And then that council has made the decisions, um, a lot of the decisions, but most of them have been made by other governments. So in this deal, for instance, um, the KRG got to choose a mayor, a KDP member to be the mayor of Sinjar that was rejected by, by people on the ground. You know, I've talked to people that were part of, 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 of the negotiations, especially from the Kurdistan regional government who cared deeply about Sinjar, who, who want to see peace and stability. So I'm, I'm not suggesting, you know, that everyone has bad motives, but but I'm just saying that we need to start looking at this in, in terms of long term. Um, the problem, I, I feel like for the U.S. standpoint, you know, we, we do foreign policy in these short bursts of election year policies, you know, and I feel like, you know, rather than taking these long term looks at, you know, how, how can we ensure that this community is able to survive in Sinjar in the next you know, 25 years and, and taking a long view. And, and sometimes you have to make harder decisions, but it will be something that will be lasting. You know, the, the government, this agreement, you know, the, the key to, to real stability is, is letting, you know, having the Yazidis be a part of their own self-governance and their own security. And, and this agreement is none of those things. The KRG in Baghdad deciding what to do for them without their say is the opposite of self-governance. And I think really the key to that 25-year view of how do we ensure you know, that, that there's a future for both the Yazidis and to the Christians um, in the Nineveh Plains, two areas I'm, I'm really passionate about, you know, we we have to deal with the disputed territories. So um, if people aren't aware of this, what, what's really happened is, you know, you have the Kurdistan regional government, which is the north and of course the rest of Iraq. And there are these territories in between that are kind of no man's land where they both kind of have power and then they don't have power. And it goes from Mosul to the east of the KRG in the north and then over to Syria and includes places like Sinjar, the Nineveh Plains, Kirkuk, Telafar, and you know it's some of the most ethnically and religiously diverse populations in the region. Um, in addition to the Yazidis, of course, there's the Syriac Assyrian Christians and also the Turkmen, the Kakais, the Shabaks, and so you know there's this. 
just this beautiful <laughs> um, minority communities there, you know, and, and so many of them have no say in their future. Neither government is investing because they don't know if they're going to run this area. And so you have, you know, this fractured kind of situation. Um, so it, it kind of got a little messy in 2003 when, when the U.S. government was in there, you know, they brought down the Kurdish Peshmerga down across their own um, border about 300 miles outside of their border, and, and they started governing into, into half of this area, but it was always Iraq's area. And then after, um, you know, Kurdistan had, had a referendum in 2017 um, for independence, um, and, it, and while they, they voted to do that, the Iraqi government rejected that, and then they came in and they took that land back. And so it's kind of been a, a messy situation. Right now, there are five different security forces in Sinjar. So you've got the Yabesha, the, the Yazidi Protected Forces. They're the PKK aligned, but but more recently they've come under the Iraqi government, and I understand they're even being paid by them. Um, so you know to make out the Yabesha, the YBS Yazidi forces as being the enemy because they were started by PKK, I think it is 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 not the correct response to that. And I think that's what Turkey's trying to do here. These are local Yazidis that just want to have a say in their own governance. They, they, they want people to protect them that care about them and that won't run. So then you, you have them, you also have the local police, you have the Iraqi security forces, you have the Peshmerga from the KRG, and then you have the PMUs, which are the Hashashabi, the, the Iranian aligned oftentimes brigades. And, and as I just mentioned, nine to 10,000 new militia members have been just recently sent. So it's kind of a pressure cooker of security forces right now. And now you're going to talk about Turkey coming in. Um, you know, obviously my sense would be the Iraqi ones would all pull back if Turkey was to come in. I, I don't know for sure. But um, the Yazidis should have the right to govern themselves. And I, I think that it, it's time that the Constitution provides for that for an area under Article 140 in the disputed law number 13 with the Iraqi constitution, a way to implement a process for self-governance. So it has to be Iraqi led, Iraqi designed. No one's talking about other people on the outside doing this, but at some point in time, setting up a structure um, that that's a little bit more formal where the people that live in this region have a say in their own governance, I think is the way forward. But at this moment in time, uh, I, I think that it's important that they're included in every decision that's made and that there are elections where they get to choose their own leaders. You know, so I guess regarding the these recent strikes, my my question to you: Are you aware of any uh, efforts uh, by the international community, or including the United States, at this point to to pressure Turkey to stop these uh, strikes? You know, we as as you well know, we spoke out last June when they announced these operations. Yet we see them happening here again. Uh, what what kind of efforts are needed and, and really who should be taking the lead in, in trying to stop Turkey's uh, offensives here? It's, it's really interesting. It's almost as if, you know, because Turkey is a NATO member, you know, these actions, everyone's afraid to take them on. And so what you're seeing is, is unfortunately a, a real silence in terms of criticizing them. And, you know, Yusuf has been a loud voice to stand up um, and, and call these out as being bad moves and, and that they, the U.S. government, you know, should privately and hopefully they are um, dialoguing with Turkey and, and using every means possible to, to push them back at this point in time. You know, I do know many members of Congress are very concerned about the situation and are dialoguing with the administration. So I'm hoping that there's a lot going on behind the scenes right now to stop this um, and that that they'll there'll be a big push 
to make sure that, um, you know, this doesn't continue as some members and I was speaking to in the Iraqi government over the last few weeks. And they reminded me when Turkey invades, they don't leave. If you look at Northeast Syria, you look at different places they've been, you look at what they're doing in Northern Iraq right now, setting up bases, you know, they put people on the ground there. Um, and so this isn't a long, good long-term stability for Sinjar, long-term stability for the Nineveh Plains, long-term stability for religious minorities. So this would be a major backsliding for religious minorities in Iraq and in the international community. It's just should not allow it. They should stand up with a loud voice and say no and use all means possible to push um, Turkey back. Now, let me just, uh, you know, close out with one of our final questions here. Uh, as far as, uh, you know, U.S. policy, you know, mm-hmm. what kind of message uh, are we sending here when we're looking at uh, the implications for Yazidis, uh, Christians and other religious minorities who've been impacted Um you know, USERF has recommended imposing targeted sanctions on uh, PMF leaders who engage in severe violations of religious freedom and so on. What would you put forward, you know, having that in mind as, as one of the tools, what other options do we have here and uh, to protect these minorities who have gone through so much over yes. such a long period of time? And now they're caught in some newer crosshairs kind of historically. You know, what what are some of the things that uh, that we should be uh, pushing at this time? Yeah, I I really think that the U.S. needs to use their power with the Iraqi government and the KRG in particular to make the point directly to these governments that they should not allow Turkey to invade Sinjar and they should not provide any support or assistance to Turkey to invade Sinjar. So first of all, I think the U.S. government should be dialoguing with both governments to make that clear. And again, as I'd mentioned, the U.S. needs to be dialoguing directly with Turkey to say you cannot come into Sinjar. And I think there should be some threats of sanctions, um, whether to individuals as well as to um, the, the country, um, different sectors. There's all sorts of things the U.S. government could do that could be harmful um, to Turkey if they chose to do that. And Turkey should understand there, there should be a red line. If, in fact, you know, religious minorities uh, matter to the U.S. and they matter to the international community, and the other point is we continue to fight ISIS in Iraq and Syria. As, as you know, there was just uh, over the border, not far from Sinjar, there's two women um, that were part of the autonomous administration of North and East Syria's governance there, um, two Arab women that were kidnapped and killed just a few weeks ago by ISIS. So what we've seen in Northeast Syria is when Turkey invades, they started reorganizing because there was a sense of instability and a sense that maybe the government wasn't going to be um, a long-term government. And, and obviously they're mistaken because the autonomous administration is not going away anytime soon in Syria. But nevertheless, it's created some conditions that didn't exist before Turkey invaded. And so here we are now looking at Iraq. And and if if Turkey does do this, this massive military operation they're threatening to do in Sinjar, it will cause a stability that will, will give ISIS an opportunity as well to regroup and to take advantage of the chaos as they've done in Syria. And that's another reason that we're going to step back if we continue this to happen. So I I think the the key forward for the U.S. is we need to think long-term for this area. How can we help people that want to stay in Sindra or want to stay in the Nineveh Plains be able to do that? And I I think it's self-governance. The fact that the academy had to send Shia militias up to Sinjar for protection, that's that's not a long-term solution for Sinjar. For Sinjar, the long-term solution is for Yazidis to be protecting Yazidis and training them to be able to protect their own and those kind of things. So, you know, I think there's a way forward, but I don't think, I haven't seen the pieces come together in a way. And I know from talking to the Yazidi community leaders, there's a real frustration too, that everything is just a band-aid. You know, we're not seeing these big, big ideas on how we can set up a structure that actually provides for a future. And so as you're seeing, unfortunately, in the Yazidi community, 
in northern Iraq, you're seeing a lot of suicides. Every week, there seem to be new suicides in the camp. Six years is a really long time to be in a camp. Sinjar itself is not in good shape to be able to come back to. So I'd love to see the international community come together and rebuild Sinjar, you know, help set up self-governance so they can provide for themselves, they can provide security, you know, get the economy going again and let them be able to build their own future. Well, thank you so much. We'll have to leave it right here, but uh, thank you for your insights, Commissioner Nadine Mayenza, on the situation in Sinjar, a dire situation for Yazidis and other religious minorities. Uh, a little preview, you know, USURF will be issuing its uh, 2021 annual report uh, in April. We'll, you can uh, uh, find our newest uh, findings and policy recommendations there. Uh, to see our current uh, work on Iraq and uh, recommendations, you can find those at our website, uh, usurf.gov. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time on USURF Spotlight. To learn more about USURF and about global religious freedom concerns, visit usurf.gov. That's U-S-C-I-R-F dot You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at U-S-C-I-R-F. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for another USURF Spotlight. <laughs>